Hello and welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. I'm your host, Alex Green IV. Today, we welcome Catherine Connor and James Dykeman from the Center for Understanding and Conflict. Catherine Connor is a graduate of the University of California, Los Angeles, where she obtained a Bachelor of Arts in History and Sociology. She obtained her law degree from the University of California, Berkeley School of Law, and is the founding partner of Connor, Lawrence, Rodney, Olheiser, and Barrett LLP, located in Santa Rosa, California. The firm was established more than 30 years ago and specializes in family and estates and trust law. And according to the firm's website, with the conviction that legal solutions come from striving to meet the hopes and dreams of clients while practicing law with respect, dignity, and integrity. Becoming a certified family law specialist in 1992 and having received numerous professional honors, including the Rex Sater Award for Excellence in Family Law, she is an expert trainer with the Center for Understanding and Conflict. James Dykeman works part-time as a marketing and communications manager for the University of, of Iowa and part-time as a program and marketing manager for the Center for Understanding in Conflict, where he oversees strategic communication strategy and marketing of programs and events. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism and Mass Communications, which, which he received with highest distinction and a certificate in nonprofit leadership and philanthropy from the University of, of Iowa. He is also an adjunct assistant professor and an adjunct instructor with the University of Iowa School of Journalism and Mass Communication. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, thanks for having okay. us. So our discussion today centers around the Center for Understanding and Conflict, formerly known as the Center for Mediation and Law. I kind of want to get a sense of, first of all, how you, um, got started with the um, center? Like what, how did you first learn about it? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I actually first learned about it almost 40 years ago, which is shortly after I graduated from law school and started my own practice with another law school graduate, kind of the, not really knowing what we were doing, but we heard about the center from some colleagues. And so I took my first training there in 1984. And the center had been in existence at that point, just a few years. It was, it was near the beginning of the center. And I knew that I wanted to practice law differently than what I had learned in law school and had experienced in those first few years. So I took the training there and I was, um, you know, I thought it was the best thing that I learned since I had started law school. Okay. And, and James, I don't, I know you don't work as a trainer there, but you do um, some communications and marketing of programs and events. How did you first get started in this capacity? Right. So thank you. Uh, in going back to school uh, as an adult, as a non-traditional student, I specifically wanted to gain the skills and experience necessary to help small nonprofits uh, get the word out, to help share their message about the work that they're doing, and to reach the audiences that they could help through their organizational mission. And specifically, in my experience, I've done a lot of work with homeless and at-risk youth, uh, working with you know underserved communities uh, in situations where there can be high tension or conflict between families, uh, even between the organizations who serve them as they're struggling through some of uh, the, the mental health uh, and relational issues that come with being parts of those communities. And so I specifically look to support nonprofits in a part-time capacity because typically that is, that's where they are. That's, that's the amount of time that they have for help. And when I came across the Center for Understanding and Conflict, which has an office in Santa Rosa, California, where I lived for a time and have family, I was intrigued by their mission. And the more that I dug into the organization and was able to get a better understanding of the decades of experience that they have in trying to get at the heart of conflict, stemming from their origin in the legal community. And in the recent years, as it's branched out into larger organizations and supporting other nonprofits, and more recently into supporting community members and community centers where they spend their time, I wanted to help them get that message out because I think that it's vitally important, especially now in a time where conflict seems to find us in all sorts of places in life that we might not have expected to find it in the past, you know, from work, in society, politics, uh, at school, you know, around the dinner table, at the water cooler, it's just popping up in all sorts of unexpected ways. And I wanted to help support the Center for Understanding and Conflict and getting their model to as many people uh, that could benefit from it using this unique approach that they have. Okay. Speaking of, you know, the mission, right, getting the word out and trying to understand something about the uh, approach, 
Um, what would you say, um, I guess I'll direct this one to Catherine, as if you could give a mission statement um, or an overarching goal of the uh, center, what would that be? Um, yeah, what we're trying to do is really to change how people work through conflict together. And we'd like to look at it that way, which is we're working through conflict. This isn't something where people are butting up against each other, but what's the way that we could um, teach people who are helping others work through conflict or people who are actually in conflict themselves to go through conflict in a different way. And that way we have is understanding. So rather than pressuring people, trying to coerce people, we want um, people to learn how to understand themselves, understand the other parties in the conflict, and of course, understand the context and the practical realities, and then be able to put that together. So our mission is to bring this model to anyone who could benefit from it, which is basically uh, humanity. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I noticed that it says you have bringing the human issues to the table. Is that a, a slogan? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know that we have slogans, but I okay. think that's how we view it, which is that we all have just everyday issues. They might be smaller conflicts. They might be bigger conflicts, but we're all in this together and we bring ourselves into those conflicts. We bring our emotions, we bring our ideas, our perspectives, and we want that all to be on the table and be able to be um, talked about when people are in conflict. What is, a, what is uh, the history of the organization? Um, who, who founded it and how did it come about? Yeah, it was started by Gary Friedman and Jack Himmelstein. Uh, Jerry, uh, Gary was a lawyer in Connecticut. He actually um, went into his father's firm after he graduated from law school, and he was a trial lawyer for about five years, and he decided that wasn't for him, and he had met Jack, who was at that point a law professor who was trying to bring a more humanistic view and perspective to law schools, and the two of them started talking Gary got in a car with his dog and drove across the country to California and then was trying to figure out what he was gonna do with his life. And some people he knew there asked him to help them work through their divorce and then several other people's. And there wasn't really a model for mediation at that point. And uh, the, you know, the bar association were like, we don't know if this is uh, ethical, um, but he started it. And what would happen is he would meet with people and then when he was done, he would get on the phone with Jack and they would talk about what happened and figure out what he might do the next time. Mm -hmm. And out of all those conversations, they started developing the model. And then they started trying to put more form to it and structure. They came up with our six underlying concepts, which actually is a great story about how they did that. They've been working together for, I think, a couple of years now and trying to develop the model. And they were in Vienna at a coffee shop having done a training there. And they say, you know, we should really try and figure out what we think are our core concepts. And they literally took out napkins and each mm -hmm. one wrote down five ideas they had for what they thought the concepts were. And it turned out that they um, overlapped on four of the five. And so they wow. became six, four plus each one from one of them. Um, and so then they just kept, you know, developing it and making it more comprehensive and teaching it. And then it's developed more, you know, mm -hmm. over the course of the last 40 years, refined. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Thank you for that. Um, when you, uh, James, go out and, you know, just talk about the center and um, how do you describe it in terms of, uh, like, what do you consider the main areas of interest in terms of its history and how it came about? Well, it's it's hard to summarize 40 years <laughs> for people <laughs> who are interested, and every audience is different. So if I'm communicating with people from the legal profession, of which many of those who we continue to train are coming from, or if I'm speaking to those in a corporation or a nonprofit, uh, the, the principles that they're going to be most interested at the outset might be a little different, uh, although once they go into one of our training programs, it's very consistent across the board. Uh, and that's just the focus on how, from my perspective, that human issues are at the center and that typically within conflict, there tends to be a winner takes all attitude. Uh, there needs to be a victor and therefore there needs to be a loser. 
And the understanding-based approach to mediation, as I understand it, is about bringing both parties to the table, acknowledging their shared humanity and providing a space for them to explore and discover what brought them to that point, what's behind the issues that are that are bringing them into this space where they're in conflict and how can they work forward, work together to move forward and find a mutually beneficial solution uh, separate from the positions that they may have taken uh, when they came to the table. Uh, but that's a really difficult question to articulate simply. And I really try to take into consideration the audiences that I'm speaking to, to help them gain an understanding of how the understanding-based approach can provide value to their organization, institution, or practice to help them mediate conflict or to support conflict resolution uh, wherever they are. Thank you. Uh, that, when you speak about target audience, I think that brings up a good point um, for any model or training or, um, you know, conflict resolution, um, you know, component. What exactly, do, do you have, does the center have a target audience, so to speak, or do you think it could, um, is useful for anyone that is in conflict? So it's, it's interesting as it was originally called the Center for Mediation and Law. Mm -hmm. And even though it was called that, people started coming to the trainings that weren't lawyers or in the legal profession because they had heard about it from colleagues or friends. And so we realized we were serving a broader audience. So when the collaborative practice movement started, we started having financial professionals, um, mental health professionals. And then we started having people from nonprofit organizations in leadership or staff role. Then we started having people in human relations, ombuds. Um, and then we had people from that you wouldn't necessarily you know, you wonder why were they coming? So someone from a grocery store that wanted to work with their staff better, some that was on a fish and game team wanted to work with their team better. Um, someone who was having conflict with their family wanted to be able to work through it differently. So it's gradually become a much broader based audience because people are so interested in being able to work through conflict in a different way. And they've heard about our model in various ways and decide they want to learn more about it. Do you believe that um, it works? I mean, considering that we are in the, you know, in the backdrop, a lot of times, you know, as you say, a lot of people come from maybe the legal world, as you said, it was used to be called the Center uh, for Mediation and Law. Mm -hmm. So there tends to be a bit of a, a lean or a bent towards being evaluative and being um, directive in your, you know, approach to problem solving and, um, you know, mediating conflict. Can this exist in that world, or is this sort of <laughs> like out extra judicial in some way outside of a court, you know, completely? Yeah. So our model does, is not directive or evaluative, um, specifically because we actually think that's not the best approach for most people. I mean, there may be some people for which that's what they need, but in our model, we believe that the parties themselves are really the experts on their situation. And they may need assistance, they may need help or some guidance in terms of how to have that conversation. Um, but they are the ones that know about what's important to each of them, which is what we try to get out into the room. They know their situation. They have an idea about what they want for their future. And all of that can happen, whether you're in a, uh, you know, a legal context you know, maybe litigation's right around the corner, maybe you're at the beginning of a legal conflict, but there's always the ability to have those kinds of conversations, brainstorm about possibilities. I mean, what's really good about, and can be helpful in a legal context is lawyers are really good at problem solving. They do that every day. And so to have that expertise in the room, to have them be able to bring some ideas to look at the ideas and, and, and evaluate whether they're gonna work, make sense. That's all really valuable. And the same thing happens in other kinds of conflicts that aren't legal conflicts. People know about their situation. They can bring in others that can help them figure it out. Okay, yes. Um, it's that the idea of self-determination, correct? Yes, Okay. Yes. In um, fact, one of, our, one of our underlying principles is let the parties own the conflict. Okay. And the idea is, is that the professionals are not the ones who are responsible ultimately for working through the conflict and making decisions. 
And so often professionals take that burden on, it's on their shoulders. And sometimes parties want to, you know, expect that that's what the professionals can do. But we say it's actually the parties are in the center. It's their lives. They know a lot about it and they're the decision makers. So they're very much in the center. Okay. All right. Um, and, and James, when you're, uh, you know, marketing and when you're sort of being somewhat of a spokesperson, if you will, for this kind of, um, you know, understanding based approach and this for the center, which kinds of people or organizations do you find tend to be the most interested um, in perhaps giving it a try? Well, historically, uh, that has been lawyers, law judge, law teachers and judges. Um, and more recently, as Catherine mentioned, human resource personnel, mental health providers, other professionals uh, and individuals have come to us from all over the world. Uh, most recently, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Israel, Italy, France, Hong Kong, Australia. We trained a group of mediators in the Ukraine and Russia recently. So it's really a wide base, but what's most important to mention is that we're not aggressively marketing to anyone. Most of the people who participate in our programs, they come find us. You know, uh, we're a small nonprofit with a limited uh, number of, of staff. Most of our, our employees are volunteers with our board or trainers through our programs. And we're very busy throughout the years just conducting those programs to, to people in a workplace mediation and in our standard mediation training. And so typically we have people coming to us and asking about uh, the model and the center and how they could potentially apply it in the work that we're doing. And so most commonly it's it's somebody who's emailing or calling and saying, hey, I have a situation in a, in, a, in a small nonprofit organization that I have where there's been some organizational change. Would someone be able to come and speak with us and put together a program to help train the individuals here to work better together and to overcome conflict that's happening as a result of change? Or we'll get individuals in a community center with uh, a similar situation who come and they want to put something permanent together that will endure in their community to help people who live and work among each other to be able to tackle the increasing levels of conflict that are coming up in the least expected areas. Um, and then, of course, we have larger organizations and corporations who we regularly communicate with here in the United States and abroad uh, as this way of mediating conflict. Uh, and training conflict resolution professionals has grown, looking to create uh, programming in a much more intentional way that becomes institutional so that they are able to address this conflict both with clients and internally uh, in ways that are healthy and productive and ultimately in the best interests of uh, organizations, companies, and the employees that they work with. Okay. Very good. Very, very good. It, so it almost appears to have people are hearing about how this um, particular way of mediation and under, and hearing about the center and sort of their interest is piqued by the work that you do versus you having to necessarily go out and create buzz for the organization. Would that be a good way to sort of put it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think okay. Catherine would be a, a great person to respond to that just based on her decades of experience with the organization. Yeah, I mean, we, we certainly wouldn't turn down buzz. The <laughs> <laughs> um, buzz is always great uh, because we actually want to spread the model. So that's mm -hmm. really important to us. Um, so, so there's some where we're trying to get the word out. And then we also, as James said, have people come to us. I mean, one really interesting thing that happened a few years ago was a journalist contacted us and she had been commissioned to write an article about um, how journalists um, cover conflict. And so she was doing research. She ended up coming to one of our trainings. And then she was working with an organization called Solutions Journalism, which is a fabulous organization that works on helping journalists to uh, include as part of stories, not just what's happening, but the solutions people are um, working towards. So we ended up adapting our model and training journalists about how to use some of our underlying concepts and some of our skills and, and techniques and, and concepts when they're working with sources, when they're um, doing their work, work as journalists. So people come to us from various places and we try and figure out how does what we teach and know, how could it be helpful to them? Okay, so, and I like the idea that it's adaptive and responsive which is kind of what is necessary possibly to be um, an effective dispute resolver, mm -hmm. you know, to meet the parties where they are in, in some way. 
um, and again, to let them own the conflict, right? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah and actually meeting parties where they are is another really important um, belief and concept for us. So we teach um, people about how to pay attention to what's going on inside of you and you know, your reactions to people and are they putting up a wall between you and them? Mm-hmm. Um, or are we trying to move people off of their position, which nobody likes? <laughs> you want to be understood right where you are. You don't want one say someone to give you the impression, even if it's not right from their words, that you're wrong. I have a better idea as a professional. Let me lead you there. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do that. We want to meet them where they are, understand where they are, and then talk about what the possibilities are for agreements. Okay. And do you find that there's people that have misconceptions or that they have to kind of unlearn um, certain preconceived notions about what it means to be a mediator and a conflict resolution professional to mm-hmm. quite to grasp this this concept? Yes, definitely. I mean, I think most professionals um, who are working with conflict or in basically in any other kind of capacity, part of our education and schooling is we're gaining a particular expertise. And, and that's what people are coming to us for is that expertise. And so when people think about helping people in conflict, they want to bring their expertise to that situation, but often that becomes taking over the situation, um, replacing their own ideas for someone else's. Um, and that's where you get into the kind of mediation where you where people feel more pressure mm-hmm. that someone's telling them you better do it this way or else it's going to be something worse. Let me tell you about the you know 17 ways that you could do this that I know about. And so it's unlearning that uh, kind of almost knee-jerk reaction to put your own ideas out there and to wait. It doesn't mean we're not going to put our ideas out there, Mm -hmm. but they're not the first thing that come out. We want to hear from the parties. We want to understand their situation. We want to really bring their perspectives into the room. Um, And I think that's not something that we're used to as much as certainly as lawyers were Mm -hmm. taught to be, you know, talking, put the arguments out there. And, you know, as we're talking to a client, we're already got our mental list of all the relevant things that we need to ask them questions about. We steer the conversation towards those. And it's really different when we're doing those as a mediator in our model. We don't want to be doing as much of that. We really want to have it be a conversation. And what's interesting is when you have those conversations with people where you're really trying to understand them, a lot more information comes out that turns out to be really critical, important that we might not get if we are going through our checklist of questions. Yeah, I've often heard it said that people just really want to be heard. Um, a lot more than, you know, people kind of underestimate the power of having a voice, a literal voice and a figurative voice, right? (laughs) Yes, totally. Okay. Um, So, you know, I guess towards this, um, I don't know, aim of people coming together and um, owning the conflict, meeting people where they are and all this kind of stuff. um, What do you see as, unique. I mean, people, you know, if you open up a textbook on mediation, many, you know, you'll hear some of the same things, right, that you've said here, you know, um, uh, because it's it's taught a little in a more facilitative way Mm -hmm. for the parties to, you know, sort of figure out what it is they would like to see Mm -hmm. um, and how to work with each other. So what is different here? I mean, is it that with this one versus, Mm -hmm. you know, any other mediation uh, uh, model? Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's in some ways almost a baseline of mediation, which is a a lot of mediators expect to, because of the popularity of getting to yes, um, that we want to look at interests. So we want to go underneath, which is another one of our principles, go underneath the problem. Uh, But I think that's a lot of mediation approaches. Look at that, which is we want to do something other than just talk about positions and, you know, work our way towards a, a, a middle number. I, I think a lot of mediators understand there's one level that's underneath that, which is your interest. We actually look at another level that we can invite people to go to, which is meaning. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we're not the only ones to do this, but I think mm-hmm. that's, it, it takes it another step, which is when people are in conflict, 
particularly a conflict that might be so significant that you're going to someone else to help you work through it, um, it can have a major impact on your life. And particularly if it's around some kind of major life event. So it might be, you know, a death in the family that's causing an inheritance dispute. It might be the breakup of a business that's been your whole identity, you know, a divorce. So those kinds of life events can shake people up mm -hmm. and there's something about them that actually impacts what they feel, what they know about themselves, their core identity, what's the meaning of life. Mm -hmm. um, and so to be able to tap into that, um, questioning that, um, that sense of who they are can make a big difference in whether you can work through the conflict to come up with a solution that people can say yes to because it's meaningful, it fits in with this crisis they're having in their life. So we think it's really important to go to that step. And the way we do that is by having conversations where we're really listening carefully. And we have something called the loop of understanding, mm -hmm. which is one of the ways that we um, you know, teach people to have that listening. And then another, and I think this is really in a sense, the heart of our approach is um, paying attention to what's going on inside of you, both in a way to connect to the other parties, but also to keep yourself from not connecting to them. So we spend quite a bit of time paying attention and, and teaching people you know, what's going on in your body? What's it telling you about what's happening in the room? What are the judgments you're having? How is that impacting what's happening in the room and your ability to connect to the parties? You know, what's happening on the feeling or emotion level for you, because it could be that's also happening with someone you're sitting with and you can connect to them that way, or you can, it tells you something about what's going on in the dynamics in the room. And I believe that our approach has a much greater emphasis on using that knowledge that you have and that feeling right. that you have inside of you to be able to work with people. Okay. Yeah, that's um, extremely holistic and very uh, in-depth. Um, and I think I asked before, probably in preparation for this, about the psychological component. It feels very much so rife with psychological and psychosocial and, mm -hmm. you know, components. Um, and I, I think I'd asked whether you needed to have that training, so to speak, in order to be able to really engage with this model. But I think you said, you know, if someone does great, but if they don't, you know, it's not a requirement, correct? That's correct. And we do get that comment not infrequently when we're in our programs, training programs, and we start to talk about feelings, mm -hmm. what's going on inside like, I don't know, this is a little touchy feely, mm -hmm. or, you know, is this really therapy? I don't know that I can have these conversations because they feel too much you know, like therapy and, you know, they're human conversations, right. <laughs> you know? So we have um, conversations with people about our feelings. I mean, not everybody does, mm -hmm. but feelings are always in the room and we can have discussions about them. We can be open with our feelings. We can, um, it, even if we're with people that don't want to talk about feelings, they're still in the room. So we can be aware of them, even if we're not talking about them because we're human and we have feelings. Right. And I think we are, we're almost, um, and again, I think this is another piece of, of professional education for some professions, certainly for lawyers I and mean, obviously not for mental health professionals, but we're kind of taught, well, you know, you should stand back. You should not be, um, you know, caught up in the emotions of the situation and um, you're gonna bring the rational into the room. And I agree, being caught up in emotions probably isn't great if we think about them sort of overtaking, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that we can't actually be with the emotions and, and be aware of them and use them as part of what we're doing in the room. Okay. And James, I know you've made some um, content, some video content and other content about this, this mediation, this. Um, model in practice. And one of the things that I think we've been talking about is seeing the humanity in everyone. And one of the most I said, interesting stories or one of the most um, emotionally charged stories are those that are human interest. So do you find that you bring out more of a the human interest component to storytelling when you discuss this kind of a, an approach? 
100 <laughs> okay. okay. we're human beings working with human beings to try to help them develop better relationships with and overcome conflict that they're having with other human beings <laughs> and uh I, I it's at the heart of everything and when you talk about this kind of psychosocial our, our organization was founded um with lawyers in mind by, you know, Gary Friedman, one of our founders was a trial lawyer, was fed up with the way the court system seemed to crush the winners and the losers and wanted to figure out a better way. And together with Jack Himmelstein, they put together uh, the understanding based approach to conflict resolution and mediation as as a tool and a proven system for uh, attorneys to use okay. to help clients find a way forward. And that being said, uh, human beings, we're not two-dimensional creatures, right? You can't look at a situation as it's just this particular issue that's uh, in contention. There's got to be a winner and a loser. There's a good guy and a bad guy. Like, no, there's there's so much more to unpack with every individual in a situation uh, about what brought them to, to, the, to the place that they're in, what is behind this conflict that's at issue, what else might be at play. And there's just so much more in acknowledging the humanity of an individual and the complexity of their experience, both their life experience and their personal and professional experience um, that needs to be addressed. And in addition to that, from the mediator is also a human being. It's the third person, <laughs> or if there are two people, that has thoughts and feelings. They have life experiences. They may have trauma or biases that they aren't addressing in the moment that can cause them to lean one way or the other or to maybe hold back or not be supportive as in, in the neutral way that they're trying to be. And so this approach, uh, again, initially put together for attorneys uh, to help their clients, is designed to acknowledge the shared humanity that everybody has. And that there's a lot more to the story. And if we can all, at the base level, in the beginning, come together with that understanding that we're mm -hmm. all people and start to work together from that. So yes, you know, if I'm writing stories or, or reaching out to people who've taken our training or who've been affected by it, uh, like the Ukraine mediators that I recently spoke with, I'm trying to get to the heart of how their life has been impacted either personally or how they've been able to go and help other individuals. Because at the end of the day, that's really what it's about. It's about having a better, more healthy uh, life and interaction with people in our community and that we work with and to help diffuse conflict. They can tear people apart. They can spend the rest of their life consumed by a situation that even if it was resolved in the courts by a judge and a jury, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it it may never be resolved in their mind and in their heart, even if they came out the victor. And this mm -hmm. is one approach that we find has been very successful because it's based on a process that has shown to work. And so much so that people from outside the legal arena have come to us unprompted asking, well, what is it that you've done there? I'm interested in learning more about it so that I can try to seek some of these results and repair some of these relationships with people in my own life or in my mm -hmm. community or in the place that I work. And so very much so, I believe that that the human connection is is there at a foundational level in everything that we do. And I'm deeply interested in bringing that out so that people can share how their life has been impacted by it. Okay. How do you respond? Because this is something I hear, well, probably my own critique too sometime, but not to put myself in it too much, but <laughs> you know, that these kinds of um you know, approaches and models are not suited for sophisticated, complex corporate uh, business type conflicts where there's, you know, you know, objective fact, you know, where you've got facts and law and we've really got to stick to certain principles. You know, we can't always talk about what we feel or what, what the meaning is behind something. We need to talk about what the facts are and how the law uh, um, informs, you know, those facts or how it is, how it can be applied to those facts. So, um, you know, how do you respond to that kind of criticism that it just isn't for some of the more, um, I don't know, upper level uh, legal and, you know, disputes? Mm -hmm. um, so first, we actually believe that conversations about the law or the alternative to reaching agreement are an important part of the process. So we actually talk about the law. We have a, um, a way that we do it, which is we wanna make sure that people understand the range of what might happen um, and specifically then how it applies to their situation to the, to the best that we can know that. So of course, in some legal disputes, 
it's a pretty broad possibility and it may, the law may be so unclear that actually the outcome is not that knowable. But in many legal disputes, there's a pretty good idea of how the law would apply to the situation. There may be differences between the lawyers on different sides of a case, but we can have that conversation. And if it's not a legal context, we can have conversations, for example, in a business, there might be rules or policies that will apply if people don't reach an agreement. So we actually want to have those conversations. And I think it's important to have those. It's just, that's not the only conversation to have, because even when you're in a complicated business dispute or legal dispute, there are still people involved in it. Mm -hmm. They still have non-legal interests, non-legal um, pieces of the conflict. It may be their reputation is partly at stake. It could be, and often is a very significant economic stake that could be impacted. And if you could find a solution that's actually better for both parties than the legal one, economically, that's really important to have those conversations rather than just focusing on the law. Um, and there's all sorts of other ways that people come into the room, again, as the humans they are with mm -hmm. their non-legal perspectives and things that are important to them that are a part of reaching an agreement. Um, you know, Gary uh, did a, a conflict between multi-million dollar corporations that were in conflict with each other. And at one point they had the legal counsel and Gary and the um, very high executives and the companies in the room for the legal presentation. And mm -hmm. they did that, but then they had the rest of their conversations and they were able to reach an agreement and it wasn't just based on what the law is. Oh, okay. That's very fascinating. <laughs> and I would add to that uh, really quickly that when you talk about large, complex commercial issues, well, we have large, complex commercial organizations who regularly send their senior level employees from human resources, their ombuds office, their legal counsel, uh, management operations to our training programs to learn how to deploy this model to tackle just those sorts of situations. And some of those partners uh, have been Intel, Roche, SAP. We have another workplace mediation program starting tomorrow with another large corporation who I don't know if we can mention because we haven't asked for their permission. But uh, the point being is that there is a proof in the outcomes that have been had based on the types of companies, the large complex organizations who are sending representatives from all different levels to come and learn how to deploy this. I think that speaks for itself in response to your question. Okay. Speaking of deployment, has there any has there been any organization or individual or just space in which this has been used that you were kind of surprised yourself? You're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe how well this worked. Or <laughs> I mean, is there anything where you were kind of, you know, because we all, of course, in some ways, you know, believe in what we do, but we say, well, you know, I don't know about this particular type of, you know, situation. Mm -hmm. Do you have any one of those kind of stories? I can, uh, you know, I, my practice is focused on family law, so it's not quite there, but I know a story from Gary from having talked to him and actually he wrote a book called Challenging Conflict that was published by the ABA, um, still available, I'm sure, through the ABA. Um, and in it is the story of working with the San Francisco Symphony. And they had been, I remember if they were on strike or were on the verge of strike. And um, they worked with the symphony first with the groups of the players to try and come up with representatives and be clear about what was important to them. And then with management to make sure they were clear on what was important. So they were all working together with this quite you know, complex, large organization that at that point had become very polarized between management and the players. Um, but by having those conversations about what was important, which as you imagine in the players, they had different, you know, different players had different ideas about what was important, but trying to create a clear base of understanding for that. And then the same thing for management, they were able to reach an agreement and um, you know, keep the, the symphony together on a good path forward. Yeah, that's a lot of stakeholders. I can imagine, you know, even the different people by section, in, you know, in terms of instrument they play might have a different mm -hmm. <laughs> interest or, you know, just depends. Yeah. 
And now, a word from our partners. Next Level Mediation Software is a mediator's best tool for advancing their online dispute resolution practice. It takes into account the psychological attitudes of the disputing parties and helps mediators find the key priorities to negotiate. Based on decision science and an easy-to-use interface, the Next Level Mediation Platform can handle the most complex disputes. Register today at nextlevelmediation.com for your complimentary 30-day trial of the subscription service and enter the code A, B, A, discount, 20 for a 20% discount. What is your hope for the, for, you know, the Center for Understanding and Conflict um, towards the future? Um, what, what, what do you, we see to an extent where you've been and how, you know, the, the history of it and what you're, you know, doing now, what is, what do you think, where do you see it going? I should just say that. Yes. So we last year um, had our first teacher training cohort. So we worked with 24 people from March through October um, to, you know, take a deep dive into both the model and how we teach, um, which is um, a very interactive, a lot of role plays, um, it's a little bit different in terms of um, teaching than a lot of places do much more sort of lectures and probably less hands-on than we do. So teaching them on our model, how to, how to help people really get, you know, as I talked about before, get inside and understand what's going on inside of them. So we had this cohort and the idea was we wanted to be able to have more capacity for teaching and more ideas for where we could bring the model. Um, and so we're continuing to work with them through this year, and then we'll be starting another teaching cohort in 2024, again, with the idea of expanding our ability to put on trainings, to reach people, to um, find other avenues. So from our uh, current teaching cohort, there's someone who's interested in bringing it into religious organizations. Um, there are people who are interested in bringing it to schools. Mm -hmm. um, there's someone who's interested in bringing it into um, prisons. So our hope is to expand both the, um, the possibilities and the actual mm -hmm. um, trainings and bringing the model to places we haven't had the ability to do before. Right. And I mean, I guess to also make it more, I don't know, relevant to time, you know, it appears like nowadays our sensibility is a little bit different, the way we speak to one another, the way we may not know, understand how to have a healthy conversation in working through conflict. So um, are there certain lessons that we can take, you know, that, that may inform kind of how, how we deal with conflict in an everyday sense? Because it does appear, appear that people's sense of decency has changed, you know, as we sit here today. I mean, it's certainly, I think, become more polarized in the last few years. And I think there's almost, for many people, a sense of hopelessness or powerlessness in, in how to have these conversations. Um, I mean, one of the things that happened recently that gave me a little hope was that um, there is an author, the one I told you about, the journalist who came to our training, she wrote a book called High Conflict. And... Um, she was asked with, some, to, with someone else to meet with a group of chiefs of staffs of some representatives in Washington to talk off the record mm -hmm. about the model. So they couldn't discuss anything that was said in that meeting, but they were allowed to talk about the fact that they had it. <laughs> and she actually wrote uh, you know, a column about having had that conversation. And I, and I find that's hopeful because I think that's an area where a lot of us feel like there, there's a need to have a different way to go through conflict. Um, so to me, I think there's way, places in our society now that could really use our model. Mm -hmm. And I think all the rest of us could too. And what's, what's really interesting is in, in, we do a basic training that's five days and usually it's around day three. And I just kind of wait for this moment when someone comes in that day and we always have something called open time where people can bring in ideas, questions, things they've been thinking about. And usually around day three, someone will say, well, last night 
I had a conversation with my spouse, my partner, my child, somebody that's very close to them. And I use this tool that we call the loop of understanding. And it works so great. Um, you know, that we had a different kind of conversation than we usually do. Um, so I think it's something that can be very, you know, be very personal for people and that they could use to actually change what happens in their own lives, as well as the work they're doing that, that has conflict in it or that they're helping people work through conflict. Hmm. Okay. And related to this, James, what is the number one reason that you hear from people as to why they may be interested in learning about the model? Because they heard it works. Well, that's pretty. <laughs> because they have, Simple, you know, concise. they work with someone or they've been friends with someone who was in a mediation situation and the outcome went much better <laughs> or they came away with it much more whole. Uh, as a person, but ultimately the simple answer is because it works and they want to know how they can learn uh, to make it work where they are. And that's what we're here to do. You know, we're a small nonprofit organization. Our goal is to get this model out wherever it can be helpful. And we're very busy and focused in the communities that we already serve. We're always open to anyone who asks to figure out a way to translate these tools and these principles uh, to help them where they are. And I think to your question about you know, how could someone apply our understanding-based approach in their personal life, and there's a lot to unpack there uh, about how an individual could do it. And we'd love to come back and share more with you about that in the future if you'd have us. Uh, but there are basic principles. The reality right now, uh, and to some degree, I guess it's always been the case, but in, at least in the last 20 years and with the proliferation of technology and media and national attention, uh, it seems like people are much more quick to be polarized and to align themselves with a particular group or position and to not relent from it, uh, no matter the cost on principle, mm -hmm. uh, and to forget that on the other side of whatever that is, whatever that issue may be, is another human being <laughs> who's... Mm -hmm who is equally passionate, but maybe also could benefit from, from being reminded that really in this situation, there's a couple of people with you know life experience and thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And, and it's not to sound psychosocial or, or get too far off into the weeds, but it's just a reality. You're a human being. I'm a human being. Catherine's a human being. Stuff comes up. Stuff drives us apart. Um, and I think we're quick to do that now for all sorts of reasons, some of them quite serious and others maybe not so much. And there are tools uh, that people can use that have been proven to work that will help them in their daily life uh, to overcome these issues and hopefully restore some balance uh, and heal relationships or at minimum get over this massive block that's mm -hmm. currently consuming their life and their headspace as a result of it. Okay. And maybe uh, I think one last thought. It sounds as though this is the kind of model that you would have to be. I mean, now I guess, I guess, We've learned how to do more virtually, um, you know, with different video conferencing platforms. And, you know, we communicate with people all the time, synchron we, we, using asynchronous and synchronous communication and things of that nature. It sounds like this requires in-person uh, interaction, does it? Well, I would have thought that four years ago. Okay. Until we couldn't do that for a while. <laughs> and I've actually been... Um, very surprised at how effective it can be over video conferencing. Mm. Um, it was interesting both for the training and for doing the actual conflict work. Um, I think it's a um, it's something you have to learn in, in how to connect with people when you're not there in person with them, but you can, you can have those conversations. You don't feel quite the energy in the room that you can have. And sometimes that's actually, in some cases, that's occasionally better because the, the, the energy in the room, it's, it makes it so that people actually can't participate. They get so activated by the other person, they actually cannot participate. We don't want that. Um, but you have to do things a little differently when you're on video conferencing, but it's still quite possible to use. In fact, of the work that I do now, I would say 80% of it is still in video conferencing um, and I offer both being in-person or video conferencing, and a lot of people are choosing still video conferencing for, for various reasons. Right. And um, speaking of the activation part, when people are kind of together, you did mention that 
this is not the kind of model that you use shuttle diplomacy where or people caucus. So maybe the video does kind of turn down the temperature just enough for people who might, you know, be affected whichever way, you know, by another person, another's presence in the room, so to speak. <laughs> I would say no. sometimes it does and okay. sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> okay, okay. Because <laughs> people can feel very free to have a lot of, uh, you know, energy also when right. they're by themselves and not in the same room. Okay. I mean, I think it's really a question of when people are activated, mm -hmm. what can you do with that? And there, there are definitely things that you can do to um, work with the dynamics in the room. And we don't want to just, you know, dampen them down and make them go away. We actually want them to have that energy and passion they have. And so there's ways of working with them where they can still have those emotions and that, you know, that energy mm -hmm. um, and maybe direct it in a way that's helpful. And that can happen whether you're in person or, you know, on a video conference. Okay. Well, I'd like to um, thank you both. Thank you, uh, Catherine Connor and James Dykeman for joining me providing insight as the Center for Understanding and Conflict. Um, I hope that it was insightful and informative, um, obviously to our listeners as much as it uh, um, was to me. And I do think that it is transformative based on you know what um, we've discussed today. I look forward to having another conversation about um, the specific training model you know, because I thought, uh, I'm sure that it would be very interesting and fascinating for, you know, people to hear exactly what it is that you do in practice, like, you know, kind of in the, in the act. So thank you so much. Thank you so thank much, you. Alex, for inviting us. It's really been a pleasure talking today and I look forward to another conversation. All right. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Alex. Thank you for listening to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. If you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to help support our podcast, please share it with others, subscribe, or leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with all the latest info on dispute resolution, follow the ABA section of Dispute Resolution on LinkedIn and Twitter. Or for more information, other ABA dispute resolution programs and publications, including upcoming events, visit www.americanbar.org forward slash dispute. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.